Are you a content queen and every single thing that you put out just turns to gold? You repurpose like a rock star. Everything is bringing you in new leads, new traffic and converting into sales. Or are you kind of drowning in content that is not getting any engagement, that is not getting you any results? You feel like you're on the hamster wheel, just creating content all the time, putting it out on your website and your blog, on socials, and really hearing crickets. If it's the latter, then this episode is for you. This is all about the power of content audits to show you exactly where the best return on investment is for all that beautiful value you're putting out your contents every single week. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. Kelsey Jones is a digital marketing and content strategist, and she currently handles the editorial strategy for a blog that gets 20 million visits a month. She also hosts the Story Shout podcast, a podcast dedicated to destigmatizing failure by asking someone every week, what do you suck at, including myself, and I am always happy to talk about that. But on this podcast, we're talking about how content audits translate into revenue, what a content audit is how you can do one, and some really awesome free and paid tools to help make that happen for you so that you can then find the gold on what content is actually hitting some of the Google page ones and twos, how you can optimize what you already have, how you can take content that you wrote even years ago and optimize it so that it starts to show up again and get more engagement and click-through rates. We also talk about some of the smart ways to repurpose your content not only from your website, but into video, audio, and written content. And we just discussed some of the key trends that are happening right now. Like, do you actually need to be putting out content every single week? Or could you sit on a couple of key posts and actually make those the most effective marketing tool that you have? So basically, we're demystifying content and looking for gold in what you already have so that we can make it work better for you and translate that into uh, leads and revenue. So without further ado, let's dive in. Kelsey Jones, welcome to the Untapped podcast. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And first off, I would love for you to tell my beautiful listeners how you tap into your potential and get paid to be you. Yes, I love that. So I've always been a huge reader, content lover. And so starting even in college, when I had my English Lit degree, I kind of translated that into digital marketing because I love the aspect of how digital marketing is always changing, especially with best practices for search engine optimization and having the best website that can convert users. And so I've taken that interest and really built a career out of that. So I had my own business full-time for about eight years. And right now I am the editor-in-chief of neilpatel.com. And so it's a digital marketing blog. They get about 20 million visits 
a month. So it's, it's been insane. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've watched really him cool for many thing. years. <laughs> yeah. It's been cool to, to peek behind the curtain of that process. Cause mm. I know Neil, when I uh, basically did the same thing, I was executive editor at search engine journal for three years and I knew him there. And so it's been really great to be able to see at a large scale, how to do digital marketing. So I've had clients from small businesses that are single business owners trying to make their website work and get content and social media out there to now this huge scale website. So mm. it's been great to get paid for something that I have a really big interest in and I could talk about forever. So it's been cool to see that kind of evolve and get to where I am now. I love that. And yeah, it is super impressive and awesome that you are the editor in chief there. Do you want to maybe share with people what that kind of involves, like maybe on a daily basis, what you're actually involved in? Yeah, so we have a contract team of about 20 people. So a lot of those are researchers, writers, they help with SEO. So what I'll do, and some of the things I'm going to talk about in this episode, is I look for gaps in the content. So maybe things that our competitors are talking about that we aren't, and how can we create content around those topics. And then uh, Neil Patel also has several agencies around the world. There's two in the U.S., uh, one that is enterprise and one that's small business. I'm going to try to remember them all. Brazil, Australia, and I think they're going to launch in the U.K. and Germany in the next couple of years. And so we try to have content that can help us drive leads to those agencies. The work I do is not only finding those gaps in the content, but also how can we drive more leads to our agencies and how can we help with the SEO side, so making sure that our pages are optimized well so we can show up in organic search results, of course, in Google and other search engines. Yeah, perfect. And I've seen a lot of his work, obviously the team's work over the last few years of really having different translations and different markets and how much that increased more traffic, which was fascinating. So I've always been a fan just of how much content gets put out. It's nice to know that there's a team of 20 plus yourself, which makes it a little bit more feasible. And obviously for most of the listeners here, they're like, one person or maybe somebody with some help in their team. But what I thought would be really awesome to dive into, which was your suggestion and something that we do quite a lot, is a content audit. Because I'm so mindful of all the people out there who are every single day trying to put content out on social, on their blog and their website mm -hmm. and their emails. And I'm just doing this with my team right now. We're constantly coming back to what is the ROI on this? What is the return on investment? Is it even worthwhile doing? And which of these pieces of content that we're repurposing into all sorts of different formats, video, podcast, email, blogs, social, what is actually giving us the biggest return on investment in terms of traffic, opt-ins and sales. Right. And I know that it can just get so overwhelming for people who are maybe trying to just literally spit out this content all the time, but they don't really know what's working. So what is a content order and why should we all be doing one? So a content audit is basically looking at your existing content to see what content needs to be improved. And it's also going to help you get ideas for future content. So one thing that I've seen a lot over the years, whether I work full time or with clients, is they have this mindset that we always need to be turning out new content, new content all the time. Well, that's not actually always helpful. And as you can see, every year, it seems like more and more companies get online. There's more and more competition in any industry you can think of. So being able to reuse your content, like you said, kind of repurposing it, but also improving it and making sure it's updated is really important. So the audit is sort of the start of a whole content strategy. 
It's going to tell you kind of currently where you're at and then help lay the framework for what do we need to improve and what new content should we be creating. And from there, you can kind of then develop a roadmap with goals and things you should be working on every week. Yeah, perfect. So how does somebody start doing that? Like what's the bit, if you don't mind sort of walking us through either the process that you personally use with your clients or what they do there at Neil Patel. So like how do people start that and get off the hamster wheel of content creation and just go, hang on a minute, I'm just going to pause and I'm going to start and look at what I already have and what's working. Yes. So there's a few tools you can use. And this is basically what I did when I started at Neil Patel. So the first tool that I use, it's free. It's by this content agency called Animals and it's Animals with a Z. And they have a tool that is called, I think it's Content Decay. So if you just Google Animals Content Decay, it connects to Google Search Console. So that's something that is free and you basically put a code in the back end of your website to let Google tell you data about your site in organic search results. And what this tool does is it then reads that data and tells you, okay, these are blog posts or pieces of your content that were really popular at first, but now nobody's reading them. So they've decayed over time. I'm using air quotes in the camera. So (laughs) maybe right away you've got tons of visits, but now nobody's using it. So for me, I look at that information and I think, well, why aren't people looking at that content anymore? Do we have too many posts about the same topic? Do we need to consolidate those posts if that's the case? Is the post now outdated? And if so, do we need to update it? Should it be redirected to something that's completely new? Like for instance, we had several posts about Google Plus and that's something that's not being used anymore. It was a social network with Google. And so we directed all the posts about Google Plus to a one central post that was alternative to Google Plus. So that was a tool I used. Another thing you can do as part of the audit is There's a couple SEO tools that will do this. Ahrefs is one and Ubersuggest is one, which disclaimer, Neil Patel owns Ubersuggest, but we have a free level. So that's why I'm recommending it specifically. And so either of them, you can do this thing called a content gap analysis. So what you do is you go in and you put in your top three to six competitors. So people that you would say are your competitors for your users or your clients. And they're going to tell you keywords that they rank for in search results that you don't rank for. And that's going to give you a good indication of either, hey, we need to start writing content about these topics. Like maybe they have a high search volume. So search volume is how many people search it per month. And that's given to you in the tool. And maybe we do have content about that, but we're not ranking for that term. If that was the case, then you would need to revise those posts and maybe look at your competitors' posts and see What content are they covering that we're not? And then, like I said, if there is keywords on there that maybe you don't have topics about, that is a good way to start maybe a spreadsheet or if you use Trello or something like that, the new content creation process. So those were the two biggest things that I looked at first. From there, I also looked at Google Analytics. That's free to set up. I'm sure most of your users know about that. I hope so. It's amazing. (laughs) And Google Search Console, both free. You should totally sign up. It's going to give you really valuable reports as to what the most popular pages are, where you're getting your traffic from, just things like that. And that's kind of the bulk of the audit that I started with. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. I 
full disclosure as well, hand up. I only just got back onto Google Console in the last few days, especially <laughs> with going off on maternity leave. And I was like, oh my gosh, Google Console tells you what content is resonating and what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So along with Google Analytics, where I love seeing who's landing on our site, what pages are they landing on, what content are they consuming, where are they coming from, where are they leaving? For those of you who maybe are not so like tech inclined or don't love statistics or data, it's still just so important. Otherwise, you're just trying to fire an arrow in the dark. So you might as well, you know, whether it's you or an assistant or, you know, hire somebody in actually to do this. You can get quite a lot of people who do an SEO audit, but just getting comfortable, much like with your finances of what numbers do you actually need to be looking at Mm -hmm. and what matters. So I love that you said, and both of those tools are free, which is awesome. And they do just tell you so much rich data. Even if you're just looking at it, you're probably going to be horrified at this. Even if it's once a month and you just check in and you say, okay, cool. I can see our traffic is increasing. And I can see that these two blog posts are sending us the most traffic by far. So we should go in and audit them and make sure they're still relevant. Have they got great calls to action that are relevant to what we're talking about? And, you know, do we need to update anything on there? and make it rank even better. So I love that you mentioned that. And for that initial kind of like analysis, how much time should people be spending? Because this is the other thing. You can go down a whole rabbit hole of data, right? So if you were coming in, Kelsey, would you say like, give yourself 30 minutes to an hour, get curious about it? Or is there a better way of doing it? So what I did is I pulled all the data from Google Search Console, Analytics, the Ahrefs Content Gap Tool, which is the competitor tool, and then the content decay from animals. I pulled that all into one huge spreadsheet. Then I just created some filters, like maybe we only look at keywords that have at least 500 people searching them per month in the search volume. So I would say all that time to pull all the data and sort of clean it up usually takes one to two hours, depending on how big your site is. And then Going forward, I do feel like an audit is kind of a continuous process. So you have that initial poll of data that you can start making decisions with. But even now on a weekly basis, I still use that same format and I pull fresh reports regularly to keep getting new ideas and what we should be revising or rewriting on our site. So a couple hours maybe for the setup, but then even weekly or monthly, depending on how big your site is, of course, a smaller site, it might not need to be weekly that you're looking at it. But that's what I like to do is set up ongoing reoccurring tasks for myself. So it stays fresh in my mind because this data is good to pull, but it's only useful to you if you're actually acting on it. So for me, looking at the data weekly and assigning out tasks to my team at a set volume we've agreed on monthly for our goals has been the easiest way to really use that info. Yeah, perfect. I love that. We will link to all those tools, by the way, in the episode show notes, which you'll be able to find at nataliesisson.com forward slash episode 133. Exciting. And with that, you know, you were just saying you pull reports. I'm a big fan of automating stuff. So you've obviously got a simple spreadsheet. So whatever works for anybody, but just as you said, you can pull those regularly and the data lands in there. Or we quite like the manual process sometimes of actually going there and looking at it and entering it because I think it makes you more conscious of what's happening. But is that a fairly easy thing to set up as well? Yeah, I would say so because you can export a lot of the data and then manually set up your spreadsheet however you like it. We like to use Google Sheets so then the main SEO people or content people on the team that are working with me can be able to access it. And if you have a note, that's all shown in real time to anyone else on your team. So I would recommend a cloud-based solution over Mm -hmm. an Excel document on your computer that you have to keep sending to people as you update it. 
Yeah, we love air table, but either of those things work, mm. I think, as well, which is really cool. So, yeah, I guess the next sort of thing would be you've talked about those tools that help you to do that. And then what are some of the key things that people can be looking for? I know you've mentioned a few, but if, if we were to take sort of a top three or five things you should be keeping an eye on that can inform your decisions about what content to put out or what content to repurpose. Can you go a little deeper into that just so people are really clear, like, because there's so much you could take in, right? And then you could get overwhelmed and be like, eh, I'm just going to give up on this. Yeah, that's a really good question. So one thing I like to tell people is when you're pulling this data, it's often just your inclination to only look at your top performers. So see, oh, this post is doing really well. That's great. Uh, one thing that I've done is I actually, in my Google sheet, I filter by maybe the worst post. So either the lowest traffic posts or they have the lowest CTR, click through rate from organic Google search, which is data that is pulled from Google search console. And I see how I can improve those. So looking at posts that have really low traffic, like virtually no traffic, again, that depends on your levels. Like for us, anything under 500 to 1,000 page views per month is considered low traffic, but we get 20 million visits a month. Um, For you, that might not be the same. So maybe your lowest threshold where you're thinking, yikes, really nobody is visiting these pages. And then kind of use that as almost a to-do list to look through each URL and see one by one, do these need to be rewritten or revised? Another area that I like to look at are pages that are almost at the top of the search results, but not quite. So what I did is when I pulled the data from Google Search Console, you can see, and Ahrefs, you can see what position your page is in the search results for specific keywords. So I look at posts that are maybe ranked number two to number 10 on the first page of search results, like in order. And because it stands to reason that if they're already on page one, if you did some improvements, then it'd be a lot easier for you to go up higher on page one than to try to bring a blog post that's on page three for your ideal keyword up to page one. That takes a lot longer. So that's another thing that I look at is where their position are. And it would it be easy for them to move up maybe to the number one position for their main topic keyword? Another thing besides the search volume, the click-through rate, the traffic, like I mentioned, bounce rate. You can see, are people going to maybe an ultimate guide you have? Like if you were doing the ultimate guide to reselling, like maybe you talk about reselling clothes or something. I'm just making up an example. It has a high bounce rate, which that means people leave your site after going to that page. That to me is sad. Because it usually you attracted the wrong person or your content just sucks and it's not what they were looking for, right? Like, so they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what I was going to say. Use that as a sign. This page is not giving users what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So then you might do some competitor research to see what information you should have out there and on your page that maybe you don't yet. Yeah. I guess for people listening, they might go, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. But you know, you can split this out over time. You can do a little bit of an audit and a refresh and a rewrite every single week. But I guess what I'd be really keen to know is some examples or even benefits of how quickly this can actually start to take effect. Because I think the biggest thing is when you're time poor and you're focusing on one of my priorities, that could seem Mm -hmm. like, okay, great. I could go through and do all of this, but what are the guarantees that it's actually going to get me further up on Google page one? And how quickly can you start seeing these changes take effect? That'd be 
something that I'm curious about because I'm very aware with content it can often be a slow organic process Mm -hmm. to really get your site being found and ultimately if people are googling for the term and they're finding you that's brilliant because you're going to be able to hopefully convert more people for your email list and to your offers yeah what are some of the I guess the immediate benefits or the key benefits that is going to keep people excited about doing this content audit and doing the work yeah I mean Again, this probably depends on your country and how big your site is, but Google will usually update those changes pretty fast in search results. So even if you decided to look at the pages you want to improve and maybe update the titles, maybe if you had some of the years, old past years in the title, like 2018, even updating those to the current year and updating the post with relevant information for the current year you can see jumps even in a couple of weeks I've seen Mm. just with those types of changes. I would focus on what are posts that are either bringing me the most conversions or are really high priority for me to be ranking on. So again, that probably depends on what your specific goals are. But for us, we look a lot at what are the blog posts that are bringing in the most revenue and leads for our agencies. And we make sure that those are up to date they don't have any bad information. They're optimized for the right keywords. So that might be a good way to set a priority. And because they already are popular, I found that Google tends to give you positive results faster. So Mm -hmm. if your pages are already doing well, it's a lot more likely that you'll see a result a lot faster. Another thing to maybe look at is, are there things that you offer that your competitors don't? because that'd be really important to focus on as well. Maybe some blog posts or a landing page about that service, because that's differentiating you from your competitors. If you know that there's a high demand for that service or product or whatever, you're going to see a lot more results from improving those pages than over-focusing on maybe blog posts or PDFs or landing pages that aren't really getting you traction or aren't important to work on. And for people who are starting completely from scratch, maybe they're inspired by this podcast and they're like, okay, I'm going to give this a really good crack, or maybe they're just going to start afresh. Is there actually a way to write, for example, three to five pillar posts, like pillar pieces of content with the right keywords that are totally focused on your ideal client and target market and actually have those rank fairly well as well? Like, is there any benefit to sort of batching that out and getting some of those pillar posts on your site? to get found like how much content is too much content I guess is another way of looking at it can you go with some minimal three to five posts that just continually get you great content or is it still about creating fresh content or updates that is a really good question so in the years past it was more about volume now it's definitely about those pillar pieces of content so even if you only had five pillar posts like you said If they are really good, always updated, have the most complete information, they're going to be a lot more likely to rank higher in search results than having 50 blog posts that are kind of about the same thing. You asking me that also reminded me that's another issue you want to look at as well is this thing called keyword cannibalization. Mm. So for Neil's post, there's a post at website, he has about 6,000 blog posts. So we found that there were several pages that ranked for the same keyword. And that's what I mean by keyword cannibalization. So like if I searched guide to SEO and there were two blog posts by Neil that were both ranking, sometimes the user won't click on anything or they might click on the actual bad post that we haven't updated. 
So it is a lot better to have one central post about a topic. And then if you maybe redirect posts that are about that topic that are now outdated, redirect them to your pillar post with a 301 permanent redirect, which I know is a little bit technical, but there's ways you can do it in WordPress pretty easily with plugins like Yoast. So that's definitely another piece of the puzzle as well. So kind of went a little off what you asked, but no, no, that's cool. Miller strategy is definitely what I would go for versus let's just keep creating content over and over. Yeah, because back in the day when I started, 2008, 2009, (laughs) it was definitely all about like continual fresh content. And I love that it's kind of almost simplified now and that you can have those, those, you know, and by by pillar post, I mean something really foundational that is 100% what your offers are about and what you want to be known for and searched on that, that is like a full lengthy post with really, really great value in it that people are going to find and actually read and not bounce away from and hopefully take a further action from. So that's really good to know. I guess one quick question around how do you see keyword cannibalization? Is that something an Uber suggest? Is that something in one of those tools that you mentioned? Or is there a specific way to look? Like we use the Yoast plugin for SEO, which is great. Really helps when you're starting a blog post for those listening. It'll tell you, is this a good title? Do you have the keywords in the right place? What else do you need to do to optimize that to get the kind of green tick, which makes you feel like you've won for the day (laughs) that it's optimized? But how does one actually find out if you're cannibalizing keywords? Because we've definitely come across this problem where we keep kind of using the same ones. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We're probably doing ourselves a disservice. Right. So what we did I used Ahrefs, which is a paid tool, but you could even pay for a month and pull this info and then cancel. What I did is I pulled all the keywords we currently rank for. And then I found a blog post by Ahrefs that they actually had a free template, which Natalie, I'll send you that link after this. And you can put that in the show notes. You literally import in your keyword export report that you got from Ahrefs into this template, and it automatically sorts it and tells you which keywords have the keyword cannibalization. So it's really easy. It sorts it by keywords and then it has the list of the two blog posts. If you didn't want to do it that way, if you could just pull the keyword data another way that shows you the blog post URL and the keyword it ranks for, you could sort it by alphabetical on the keyword side. And it might take some more cleaning and digging that the Ahrefs template did for us automatically. But you could say if it was alphabetical, then that might be another way to kind of see oh, these two separate pages on our site both rank for this term. Yeah, cool. Do you actually just want to explain to the audience what an href is? Because I know it's the tool that you're talking about, but also just so people know what that is. Yes, so hrefs, which is actually spelled A-H-R-E-F-S. There's a debate between should it be pronounced A-H-R-E-F-S or hrefs, but that's basically code in HTML, which is HTML is what websites are made of essentially. And that is basically the beginning of a link. So Mm -hmm. if you see a link on a website, the code behind that, it would be a little carrot closing bracket. I'm doing like a sideways B with my finger um, in the camera. And then it would be A space hrefs equals and then the link and then closing bracket or whatever the anchor text, which is what the text you click on on a site and then the closing bracket to finish the link in the code. So that's where that came from. I was a huge nerd in middle school and I actually <laughs> taught myself HTML. Did you? Um, yeah. So it That's was really cool. cool to be able to learn that and something that I still use now. 
yeah, I know the basics. Like I can go in behind and play with a little bit of HTML, but just just the basics. After that, I leave it to the the people who are pros. That's really useful. So switching now from people who are also using social media a lot. I mean, there's a, a ton of benefit to how you link back to your content on your site, how you share it on those sites, and even mm-hmm. just being on those like YouTube itself, obviously is part of Google. So it, it videos on there right. can rank really highly. Your LinkedIn profile can come up in Google search results, your Facebook profile, your Twitter profile, your Instagram profile. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your tips of how you guys at, at Neil Patel's, but even with the clients that you work with, what are some really just great suggestions that they can start doing more of to see better return on investment on all their social postings? I'd just be really curious what you've been seeing has been working well. Yeah, that's a really good question. I will say first, a lot of people don't know this, but YouTube is actually the biggest search engine in the world. Yeah. So it gets more searches per day than any other search engine, which has always been fascinating for me. I am a big believer in repurposing. So where this is something that we're working on with Neil as well, because he has a daily podcast and a YouTube channel. And we just hired a social media manager that's going to help us with this. But we basically, any piece of content you create, you want to try to repurpose it for social or vice versa. So for example, if we had a YouTube video that could then be repurposed into a transcribed blog post. So you paid for transcription and turn it into a blog post and embed the video. You could turn it into a podcast. So you could pull out the audio version of that and upload it as a podcast episode. You could cut a little snippet of that YouTube video and post that then on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, natively. There has been some research in the past where Facebook, I know, because I was part of this study, they actually favor native video as opposed to a link to a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So if I upload the video to Facebook, maybe a snippet of the YouTube video or the whole video, there has been some evidence that shows Facebook prefers that and will give you more visibility in users' newsfeed than a link to YouTube. So do they want to keep you on their site? (laughs) Right, exactly. There's also tools like I know Audiogram is one where it'll pull the audio from a podcast and almost turn it into like a little video image on YouTube. So if you just have the audio, it'll show like a little animation of audio talking. So it's like a video, but you just hear the audio from the podcast. You can also stills from the video and quotes and turn them into images. So any repurposing is really going to help that content go a long way. And it's also going to build your engagement and just brand awareness. So, you know, if I followed you on Instagram and I saw that you shared a video that was an excerpt from a podcast, maybe I didn't know about your podcast. So now I'm going to go subscribe because you included that video. So just making sure that you're not only repurposing to make your job easier and using the same content over and over instead of having to create everything from scratch, it's also going to help reinforce what you're doing on other channels as well. Yeah, definitely. And an example that I think we're pretty proud of is that when the podcast goes live, which it does each Tuesday, we also then post it to Facebook and to Instagram. I think it also goes out to Twitter, but we use Headliner app just to create a 60 second montage of the interviewee speaking like a little teaser as we talked about or if it's me it'll be an image and my audio underneath it and we'll also usually put out an IGTV later in the week so we'll put it out in a short snippet format so it might be two to four minutes and it will link back to the full podcast episode 
And we actually used to also put it on YouTube, which probably shouldn't be doing again because it's not any extra work for my podcast editor to edit audio slash video at the same time and have them going there or even if it's just a snippet of it. So yeah, really, really like those suggestions just so, and you know, you can keep it going out over the weeks. That's the thing that always blows my mind is people put out a post and they'll only do it once and then they'll be really disappointed right. and they're like, nobody's seen it. And I'm like, well, how many times have you mentioned it? And they're like, once. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just continue to refer back to this over the space of the next month to mm-hmm. three months? Just recycle that content, keep linking back to it. You know, there's so many opportunities for you to share that and to keep it fresh for people because if somebody didn't see it the day it came out, they might see it a month later and it's still just as relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to podcast episodes that the creator shared on Twitter and it was from three years ago, mm-hmm. but it was still very helpful, very useful. So there's tons of tools out there that will let you build a library of posts. So if you had pre-written tweets, for example, or LinkedIn or Facebook posts about your podcast, I know Edgar is one that does this. I'm sure there's others. You can set it where you have posts from your library just going out regularly. And as long as the content is still useful and evergreen, you definitely should be doing that. Yeah, definitely. I love it. Gets me excited about what we've got to do. And <laughs> all my team is going to help me with. Um, have you got any final kind of tips that you've seen being working really well that people can just, you know, not to overwhelm them, but just like really to stay focused on some of those key wins that they can do around their content strategy? Besides what we talked about already, one thing that I was thinking of since you mentioned social media I do think social media engagement and likes and comments are a good indicator of content that's also going to do well in organic search because the same people that are following you on social media are also going to be people that are searching for your content, your products, your services in organic search. So looking at your referral traffic uh, from social media in Google Analytics, like what posts are popular on social media is a good way to kind of also give you insight into your content and help you see, you know, if your posts on a certain topic are always popular, then that's a good sign for you to maybe you need to create more, or maybe you need to have an ultimate pillar post like we talked about, or do a webinar that you can repurpose, or a little training, maybe a half-day training that people pay for. I do think social media just has a really good insight into what your target audience wants to see. And it helps you figure out maybe what you should be focusing on in terms of content creation and content repurposing. Yeah, I really love that tip. Thank you. It's a really, really good point. So don't, you know, it works both ways. If it's popular on your site or if it's popular on social, how can you switch between them and make sure that that content goes further? This has been so much fun. It kind of takes me back to the first days of my blog when I was trying to learn all the stuff that you've been talking about. And um, there's some point at which I'm sure after a thousand plus blog posts that I've written, I probably either was doing this in my sleep or need to get back into the habit of it. So for those of you listening who are like, oh my God, this all sounds like too much. Don't worry. You know, you can hire freelancers who specialize in Mm -hmm. great content writing and keyword research and specific SEO optimized blog posts and doing audits for you. You can chat to Kelsey, I'm sure. Uh, She sounds pretty busy right now, but there's always tips out there and there's great courses to go through as well to educate yourself more or pass on if you have somebody on your team who's really keen. I was just thinking throughout this conversation that my virtual assistant, April, is really keen to understand more about SEO. So I've got a course that I'd like her to go through and then also for her to listen to this episode. 
So just, you know, always upskilling because there's so much that can be gained from organic content, especially if you don't want to go down the advertising route. And it lasts for years. Really great evergreen content. People will keep finding and keep finding. And it's not that much effort for you to maintain that. And it can continue to get you leads and sales, which is what we want. That's why we have websites. That's why we have content. If it's not getting you results, why are you doing it? So thank you so much for like, yeah, just sharing some of those tips of what's working and what are some of the low-hanging fruits, I guess, that people can focus on. Yeah, definitely. It's so exciting to see what content creators and entrepreneurs are doing now on the online space. And we have so many tools, like the ones I listed and free courses, like you said, if if you're keen to learn, then there is that content out there. So don't be intimidated, just do a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you'll be a pro. Yeah, I love it. Where's the best place for people to reach out to you? Thank you. And to learn more about what you do. Sure. So on Twitter, if anybody has questions, that's probably where I would answer the fastest. I'm Wonderwall7 on Twitter. (laughs) I do love Oasis, if anybody's wondering where my name comes from. And then I'm not sure if it'll be live at the time this goes live, but I am starting a podcast about destigmatizing failure. So just talking about it's okay to not be perfect at everything. And that is called Story Shout. And Natalie is actually going to be a guest with me. So if you want to follow along, we're Story Shout on all of the social media channels and would love to have you over there as well. Beautiful. I'm super excited for that. I think it's something we all need to be talking about a lot more. And more importantly, mm-hmm. what to do with failures and how to turn them into wins and opportunities because there's so much that can be done there as well. So thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. It definitely got me just going, oh, I need to get on Asana and make some tasks for my team and get everybody excited about SEO and content because we are sitting on a ton of it. As you know, this podcast goes out every single week. We repurpose it, as I mentioned in this podcast, but we also have other content from audios, videos, courses that we transcribe and we turn into pillar blog posts. And we just need to be doing a better job of it because it is so powerful when you get organic content and reach right, especially if you don't have a big marketing budget for ads or you simply want people to find you through the great content that you have. If this has been helpful to you, can you please share this podcast with a friend who is in content overwhelm right now so that they can be a little bit more enlightened? And don't forget that if all of this felt a little bit over your head or a little too much, you can always outsource One of my favorite places to do that is Upwork. You head to nataliesisson.com forward slash Upwork and you can basically hire somebody in around 20 minutes if you actually know what you're doing. It's a really great site with over a million freelancers and I find it very effective for finding people like, especially around SEO content and some of those more niggly roles where you just need a tech person to help you out. You can set your own budget, You can set how many hours they do so you can fully control it to work within your own limits. And it can be just so helpful to get help on those things. If it's not your genius point, then you don't need to be doing it. But you do need to have a good overview of what the heck is happening in your business in order to make better decisions. All right. So I hope that you're going to fully tap into your potential this week, understand how to get paid to be you, and really get excited about how you can make content help you get paid to be you even more easy. Thanks for listening.